we just uh, just want to um, continue looking at this series, this power in the parables. Luke was such a captured some incredible and a, like a special focus on the parables of the Lord. And he has several that the other Gospels didn't capture. And probably the most famous uh, parable of them all is today. And it's only in the book of Luke. And it's, we're talking about that, that prodigal, as, as you'll probably see on your, it may be in your Bible, it'll say the prodigal son. But when you really look at it, it probably should be more uh, the father with two lost sons. We'll, we'll look at that a little bit maybe more next week. But we're going to focus today on that first one, so many times called the prodigal son. I can relate to this. As I read this, I can relate to it so much because that used to be me. It may have been you too, but I can tell you I can relate to this, this young man who had such opportunity and walked away from it. And thank God for the mercy of the Father. Amen? Thank God for the mercy of the Father. We're going to look at Luke 15, 11 through 24. And today we're going to look at this title, When You Come to Yourself. Oh, we need sometimes to come to ourselves and to realize where we truly are. Let's look at these verses, starting with 11. And he said, a certain man had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. And he divided unto them his living. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country, and there wasted his substance with riotous living. And when he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in that land, and he began to be in want. And he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would, have, and he would fain have filled his belly with the husk that the swine did eat, and no man gave it unto him. And when he came to himself, he said, How many hired servants of my father have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger." I will arise and go to my father and will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee and no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. And when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight and am no more worthy. To be called thy son. But the father said to the servants, Bring forth the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand, and shoes on his feet, and bring hither the fatted calf and kill it. Let us be, let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they began to be merry. Amen. When you come to yourself, Lord, we come before you, and God, I pray that by your mighty spirit, that God, again today as you spoke that day, you would speak again today and you would open our eyes that we would see what you're trying to tell us, God. That we would not only see your heart, but Lord, we would see our own heart. And God, we would be, Lord, be revealed before us, God, what you want to do in our own lives. And that God, the end result, Lord, we would surrender and run to you, Lord. For that's where we find joy and contentment and peace that we so long for. Speak, Lord, and move through this preacher today and have your way in this altar. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. And everyone said this morning, amen, amen, amen. When you come to yourself. If this, 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 as I mentioned last week, this parable is actually part of like a trilogy. It's not three parables. It's one in three parts. It's like that song with three verses. It's giving you different angles of the same thought. 
We see the one that we looked at last week was that lost sheep. That sheep that not intentionally, but through its own negligence, through its own bad decisions, wandered off until it couldn't find its way back home and it was lost. And it was in trouble. And if we went on, there was just a couple of verses and it was basically the same story. The next few verses between it and this is the lost coins. And this was where the woman was careless and lost one of her ten coins. And there's a whole uh, thought on what those coins represented, but she lost the coin. And the only way she found it was she stopped everything, she swept the house, she cleaned, she searched until she found that valuable thing that to you and I might have been very little. It was like a day's wages, uh, uh, this, this coin represented, but to her it was valuable. And she searched till she found it. But today we're looking at something totally different. Today when we look at when you come to yourself, we're looking at not something that was accidental, not something that just through negligence. But this young man on purpose left the presence of the father to do his own thing. And before he knew it, he was in the far country and his life was turned upside down. See, I know about that because I did that. And I know the sufferings and I know the mistakes and I know the, how easy it is to get yourself here. And so today, this, this is such a parable thing, especially when you realize that every one of these parables comes from the Lord himself. This is God giving you a perspective of heaven and his Father and the what love, and, and we see a picture of God the Father. We see a picture of mercy and grace like no other in this, uh, in this story. And we see that this is such a powerful thing. But you know, let, me, let me tell you something on the outset. Many, many of the times you will see people preaching on this. They're talking about the lost. And yes, it says that he was lost, and it says that he uh, was dead, and he was lost, but now he's found. But you've got to realize something special about this. It's talking about a man with two sons. Well, never in the story do they stop being his sons. This is talking about someone who has a son, a relationship, and that son leaves that relationship. See, we need to realize, oh, this is just, we don't need to really pay attention today because this is only talking to the lost. This is only talking to those who doesn't know the Lord. But I'm telling you that the person that he's talking to here today is someone who knew the Father and had a relationship with the Father, and they went their own way. In our life, when we get saved, we've got to watch and guard that relationship because if we don't watch out, we will find ourselves in a far country, far from that moment when we get in that. Remember the altar experience when you got saved? Hopefully yours is as real as mine to where I, there was no question the next day whether when the enemy come and said, oh, that probably was just emotion. No, no, there was something really that happened in that altar and my life was altered and changed for the better because of it. And so we know that there is, we have those relations. But if we don't watch, we will stray from that. If we don't watch, we'll become cold and indifferent. And we'll find out that down the road, when we look back, the relationship is not the way it used to be. And this son is, is moving away from the presence of the father. We see that he is here, is saying some things that's just... Uh, so hurtful. We see that, you know, the first thing we're looking at, we're going to look at just a few things about this son that as he moved to this far country. First, we're going to see that he rejected his father's plans. See, the father had a plan. When you have your children, don't you have great plans for them? And, and you, try to, you try to help them in, in school, and you've got these big plans. They're going to become this big successful. They're going to be a doctor. They're going to be, they're going to be a, you know, something, a lawyer. They're going to do something, make big money. And, 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 and you, you, then you start seeing things. You start maybe even seeing attributes in that child, and you realize, boy, they have got a bent toward this. My daughter, I could tell my daughter was someone who should, have, uh, should, should teach 
She was someone that has just this natural ability to teach. She was so good as a Sunday school superintendent. I would have teachers. I mean, I, we had a lot of Sunday school classes. And every week there'd be some of them that wouldn't be there. And I would get frustrated because I'd be last minute and I couldn't find someone to replace. And, they, you know, there's going to have a bunch of kids in there. What am I going to do with them? And Megan would keep saying to me as a 12-year-old, Dad, you want me to do it? You want me to do the class? And I'm like, Megan, you're 12. No. Finally, I got to the end of my ropes one day and I had to have like two. And I was just short. I was like, Megan, do you think you could do it? And so Megan, I, oh, yeah, I can do it. And so she said, I said, you don't have any lesson planner. And she goes, I don't need one. And I said, okay. Let's see. And I thought, yeah, let's see how this goes. 30 minutes when we get ready to leave, she comes out of her bedroom, and she's designed artwork and a lesson plan and everything in 30 minutes. And I thought, wow, boy, you have some kind of ability there. And I started working with that before I knew it. So you see in your kids what God has put in there, and you see the capability of what they can be. And so you encourage that, and you work in that. There's no difference in this father. He had two sons, and he loved them both dearly. We know he did. It doesn't have to tell us because of the things that he did. You and I would have reacted maybe very differently than this father did. But we see that this, this father has been investing himself, and he's training these boys, raising them up, so that they soon would be able to take over all the things that he has, and he's laid back for them. And he loves them, and he's been preparing for them. But this young son is saying, Dad, I don't want that for my life. You ever get there? You ever do that in your life when you get up as a teenager and you get to that place where you say, I, I don't want to do what mom and dad's telling me to do. And even when we get saved, sometimes we say, I don't want to do what God's told me to do. I don't want to do what God's asking me to do. I can tell you right now, when I felt God drawing me toward the ministry, I was like, no, 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 no. I don't want to do that. That's not what I want to do. And sometimes we, if we don't watch, we will get to that place that we reject the things that God... You know, see, there, there, was, there was a... You notice that verse there and that part of that verse where it says, and, and I think it's very fitting, the, new, the King James says this at the end. He says, give me the portion of the goods that falleth to me. Right. That, that, that wording is pretty, pretty accurate there, isn't it? It's talking about something that he never earned, nothing that he deserved. It was the goodness and blessing of the Father that was given. He said, I don't want... I don't want to wait. I want you to give me what's coming to me that I've never earned myself. I don't want to wait. I want to do my own thing, and I want to do it now, and I want to reject what you want to do with my. I want you to give me what's going to come to me that wasn't mine. It's something that you've earned. It's your blessings. It's all the things. How many times in our own lives is God, are we taking the very things that God has given us, and instead of using it for the glory of God, we do what we want to do with our own lives? And so we see here that he wanted to reject, and he, his opinion and his heart was like many of us. I remember this. I think I can make myself happier than God. I think I can make myself happier than what my parents' plans or what God's plans in my own life. I know what makes me happy. I know what I enjoy. And so we start pursuing that. We first start rejecting. Listen, before your feet ever leave the door, your heart's already left. Your mind and your heart leaves way before your feet follow. And so there is this move away uh, and thinking that we can take all the things, all the, all the good things that's in your life did not come from you. I want you to know that right now. I don't care how talented you are. I don't care how blessed you are. It wasn't because of your own wisdom. Because if you have wisdom, it's because, because he gave it. If God gave you blessings, he, you could as easily lose everything you've got that you have. So when God blessing us, when God gives us ability, when God gives us, uh, uh, gives us provisions, when God gives us influence or anything, whatever it is, it's all the goodness of God. And sometimes we make a mistake to think that was us that did that. 
And, and we see so many times in Scripture that that we are counseled. Don't do that. That's pride. You'll lose every time. I was thinking, I, I remembered as a, a young person, it was, uh, it was the first time I seen this played out that it, nothing is me is that before, as a young teenager, I, at that time I was kind of mo- moving in, 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 in circles and I was uh, uh, actually, the Lord would, would help me with music and, and he started, I could tell he had his hand upon me and sometimes I would have some of these really re- uh, close relationships with him maybe come through a problem in my life and then God would give me a song. God would, call, would allow me to, to write music and to sing it in, in, in the youth uh, group. Or, and actually was getting to the point where the, that some of the uh, areas was wanting, hey, would you come and sing for us? And, and I would sing some of the stuff that God had given me. And so I took it for granted. I thought, that's just me. That's me. I just got some ability in myself. Boy, did I find out quickly that wasn't the case. See, when I strayed away from the things of God and I found myself in that far country, I got married, and one of the things I, you know, I didn't have 50 cents, but I went out somehow and got a keyboard. I was going to, you know, I was going to, I need to keep on playing my music, you know. And so I was going to play music, and I thought, well, I'll write stuff for the world. I'll write some of this worldly stuff, you know, and I can, I can do that. Cause I, and let me tell you something. It did take me about 30 minutes to figure out. I fell right on my face. I couldn't do nothing. I couldn't do anything. It was gone. I couldn't even hardly play anything i sure couldn't ride anything it didn't feel the same what was the difference it was the presence of the father i was no longer i was rejecting what he wanted to do the blessings that i had came from him and whenever we try to take the things that he's given us it'll never work any other way god wants to bless your life but he wants you to make him first you know this son the thing that he said to this father was one of the most hurtful things when you look at the real interpretation you see this was not a normal request that he made. I mean, it, the father could do whatever he wanted to with his, with his finances and with the things while he was living. There was some law at that time that the firstborn would have to get a double portion. But it was his. It was in his own power. And usually, just like now, people die, and then you get their possessions. This son was saying to this father, when he said to him, he said to him, I basically, he says, uh, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. You know what he was saying there? And I, and I know you know this, but he was saying to me, Dad, I don't want to wait till you die. I want it now. Sometimes we don't understand how hurtful some... Have you ever, was you ever that way? Did you say stuff that when you was a kid, you later in life would think, man, I wish to God I could take that back. I know many times we don't understand how hurtful some of the things we say are, but when you become a father or you become a mother, then you realize, boy, I, and then all of a sudden you realize, boy, that must have been rough what I did. I was, I was remembering... Uh, I was remembering something that I said many years ago. There's plenty. I could probably give a whole sermon of things that I shouldn't have said. Mom and Dad says amen. Uh, the, uh, I remember I, this one time. I was young. I was pretty young. And I have no clue. Uh, you know, you, you're selfish and young and stupid. Now, I wasn't no teenager, but I was young. So I was pretty young. But I remember one time Dad asked me a question. He, he told me I was fooling around watching something or whatever. And I was little, but he said, he was telling me, he said, I, I think he said, like, uh, son, I love you. And I didn't say anything back. And then I think, Dad, you'll have to correct me later how this really went. But I remember him asking me in a roundabout way, can you say it back to me? Can you tell me you love me? And before I thought what came out of my mouth was, and I love you, what came out of my mouth was, what do you give me? <laughs> what do you give me? <laughs> and then I, then, it, then I seen it. Then I seen it. I seen the look on his face when I said that. And he started shutting down. He wouldn't, I, then I tried to say it, but it didn't mean anything then. I didn't realize 
that some of the things that a kid says hurts. I, I got permission to give this. I, did, I, I, I told one on myself, so I called my daughter this morning. I said, Megan, I need to give an illustration on this. And I, can I give this certain illustration? She said, I guess. She said, Dad, as long as you redeem me at the end, as long as you tell them I'm a good daughter, you can tell this one. So I said, okay. So I'm telling you, she's a good daughter. She's made up for it. So I don't want to lie to her. But when she was little, you know, God has a way of letting you see <laughs> kind of see what happened, what you did by your own kids, right? You never pay for your raising until you have kids of your own, right? So we, uh, Megan was pretty, pretty young, and I had a really close friend. His name was Lloyd. And Lloyd didn't have, or he might, he had kids. I guess he had kids, but he is divorced, and he, he'd come over to our house all the time, and he was just a big cut-up. And he was all the time cutting up with little Megan, and he loved her, and and he was always trying to get her in trouble, you know, to do stuff. And she just loved Lloyd, you know. And I, there was, I was trying to remember what the circumstance was. And she said it was a Sunday morning. We was getting ready for church. And Lloyd was there. And Lloyd, we were eating breakfast. And Lloyd was telling her to, put, to take her jelly and put it on her mom's Sunday dress. And trying to get her in trouble. And Megan just thought that was the funniest thing in the world. And we were sitting at the table eating. And I'm trying not to kill Lloyd because he's trying to get us in the mess here. And the next thing that Megan said, she looked at him and says, Lloyd, I just wish you was my daddy. <laughs> I just wish you was my daddy. Well, she not knowing that her daddy just got a shot to the heart right there, you know. So, she, so I got permission to say that. But kids don't understand sometimes the, the things that they say and how it hurts the heart. Well, that's exactly what was going on. This was a big boy. This was a young man. And he looks at his dad and he says, Dad, I, I'm, I'm done with your plans for my life. I don't want your authority. I don't want your accountability. I don't want your plans. I just want your money. And I want it now because I want to do my own thing. You know, we look at this guy, and I'm sure that this crowd, when they heard this being said, probably thought, boy, I hope the Father gives him what he really does deserve. And that's what we deserve, isn't it? So we look at this, and sometimes when I look at it, I say, Lord, I did that to you. I did the same thing to you. You do things and you bless me and you've, you've got your hand upon me and you're trying to do things in my life. And I say, Lord, I just want your blessings to do what I want to with. I don't really need anything else from you. We don't watch. That's where we get spiritually. But we see instead of giving him what he deserves, it goes on in that verse 12 and says, and but what we, this, is, this doesn't make sense to me. But it says, and he divided unto them his living. He gave his sons what was his. He gave them what they didn't deserve. It was nothing they had earned. It's stuff that he had set back, blessings that he had set. Instead of bringing judgment immediately upon this boy, he blesses them. How many times in our life has God blessed us when we deserve curse, but he still blesses? See, we see pictures of God's heart through this story. We see that God blesses us and God still deals with us. And God reaches for us. When we deserve judgment, He gives us mercy. And so we see that. So even though we don't understand it, we think that maybe it would have been better if He would have done thank God that He is a loving, merciful God. And we don't get what we deserve most of the time. So we see here that He first rejected His Father's plans. You know what else? Then He rejected His Father's presence. He goes on in verse 13, And not many days after the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country. We see that he took whatever his father had given him and liquidated it, 
so that he could pack it in the cash in his pocket and he left to go have his own way. We see that but already his heart had been gone out of the house a long time before, but now his feet was following after. You better watch out when you get in the place to where you think that God's plans is not the best for you and that your plans is better than his for your life. And you start taking the reins out of God's hands and you start going your own way. It's a, it's a warning sign in our lives. You're already on your way out of the presence of the Father. When you get out of the presence of the Father, here's what you're going to find. You're going to find that surely, but, but absolutely surely, you're going to find your strength getting weaker and the draw of the world getting stronger. You're going to see that, that all of a sudden the things we see that Lot, he kept listening to the music and looking at that beautiful plain, and the next thing he knew, he was heading closer and closer to Sodom and Gomorrah, and the next thing you know, he's inside the gates. He's actually made his abode there. We've come down that road of the prodigal, and, and we, if we know that we've been there like I have before, when you see this boy at this point right here, you want to scream out and say, stop, whatever you're doing, stop, it's a mistake. It's going to cost you, as the saying goes, it's going to take you farther than you want to go, it's going to keep you longer than you want to stay. It's going to cost you more than you ever want to pay. We want to warn this young man. Don't do it. You're going to regret it. The far country is going to destroy you. It's going to do all kinds of damage. But we can't get this, the, the attention. Most of the time they won't listen. Have your kids ever been that way? You tell them this is going to be destructive for your life, and yet they go their own way. We see that B.H. Clinton had a saying that, man, it, it always stuck in my mind because whatever that we find that in our life is drawing us from the house of God from the prayer room from the word of God and we see that our our attention and our hearts start moving away way before we leave and whenever we see that we need to realize this thing is what he would say he says whatever pulls you out of that altar will pull you out of God whatever pulls you out of that altar that's where we see it first we don't get away from God until we first start seeing it in the altar. We start seeing that we have no desire to hear from God and to talk to God and to be in God's presence. And then all of a sudden, if we don't watch, we find ourselves in the, the house of God is a distant thing. And then before you know it, we, we, we'll end up watching online and then we'll end up gone. So we need to realize that there is such a... Uh, 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 such a pull to keep us away. So we see that he, we see that he rejected the father's plans. He rejected the father's presence. He then rejected the father's precepts, the instruction that his father had given him. He'd raised him, and he is now rejecting that. We find ourselves doing the very things. Verse thirteen goes on and says, and took his journey into a far country, and there wasted his substance with riotous living that riotous living is wasteful it is it is extravagant and if you read farther and you see what the brother said how in the world could you ever forgive uh, my brother your son he doesn't you know how you do that your daughter that's your son that's done it. he says how could you my brother or not my brother your son has went out and wasted his your inheritance on harlots and we see that we find that this son has now went from the presence of the father. He's rejected the plans of the father. Now, everything that his father had trained him to do, that's exactly what he finds himself doing. We, we, we will get so far. There is a time in our lives, if we don't watch, the very things that we at one time said, Lord, 
thank you that you brought me from these things. We'll find ourselves doing things. We'll find ourselves so distant from the things of God in the far country that we'll find ourselves. The enemy will steal away everything that God has given us in our lives if we don't watch. The Father has given us his plans that he has for us. And, and, the, and, and he wants to protect us. But we will walk away from the very instruction that the Father... I, I remember when my son backslid and he nearly killed us. I'm telling you, I don't know. I know my parents went through the same thing. And again, you go through things later with your kids. And I know some of you all are just wonderful and never did that. My daughter hardly gave me any grief and, and never scared me. And now, you know, spiritually, she's always been strong. And I was like... Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. My son, on the other hand, was like his dad. And he ran from things of God. And I remember during that period that he was running. But I tell you what, he nearly, he nearly killed us. And uh, he, he troubled us. And uh, we would, I seen all the things. And it seemed like everything that we had told him, don't do. Immediately, he was doing those first. That's the first things he was doing. And so I was like, Lord, I know, I know. I, I went down that road. I went down that road, and I was running from that. Let me tell you something. The one thing I've told you this before that was so powerful to me, and I feel it's true, because once you start doing those things, you're opening yourself up for the destructive power of the enemy in your life. The things that God has put his hand upon you and that, that umbrella of protection, the enemy can't get to you when you're under the Spirit of God and under the power of God and, and his life, his, his, his control of your life. The enemy can't touch you. But we can get to the place when we reject the things of God and we will find ourselves exposed that the enemy now can get to you. And, and, and Bill Gothard, uh, this, this teaching that I had, it was a young man, such a powerful teaching. The, one, the most powerful illustration he made that got my attention, and I've told you this before and I'm going to tell you again, but he talked about the umbrella of protection. He was talking about being under the authority of those that God has put in your life, whether it be the government or your parents or your pastor, or, and every one of those is directly under God, of course. And when you obey and you stay under the authority that God has put in your life, he said there's an umbrella of protection over you that the enemy would shoot his arrows and that umbrella, they will bounce off. He can't get to you. But when we reject those authorities in our life, whether it be the word of God, the counsel of God, and we reject those things and we say, I don't want those. I want to go my own way. We pull ourselves out from under that umbrella of protection. And now the enemy has direct inroads into our life. And that's where he starts that kill, steal, and destroy. This young man, that's exactly what he was doing. He was destroying his life. First, he stole everything, all the blessings that the father had given him. He now had lost them and squandered them away. And before you know it, we find that he is in the dark, deep, uh, into sin and he's losing everything and he's coming to an end of himself. That's where we see number four. He rejected his father's provision. His father had always met his every need. His father had always made sure he had plenty to eat and he had the best clothes and he went to the best schools and he, had, he made sure that he got rest and whatever his needs was, he took care of them. But he found out that when he got out from under that father's uh, home and rejected that father no longer was that father's provision at his disposal we see in verse 14 and when he had spent all what a sad thing there arose a mighty famine in that land and he began to be in want and he went and so at that very moment right there we see that he began to be at want he's come to an end of himself and again, we look at this young man and we say at this point, son, do you not see where you're at? 
Can you not clearly see the place that you're at? Go back home. We know the answer. We know the answer, and yet in my life, I got to these places myself, and somehow in our mind, because we're so blind, we still think that we can fix things ourselves, that we will find that thing that's longing inside of our heart, which only is going to be filled with God, and we think that we can just keep trying, and we, we fulfill the very definition of insanity, which is to keep doing the same thing over and over and over and over and over, thinking you're going to get a different result. You're not. You're never going to find what you're looking for unless you allow God to have control. He gets worse. He goes from bad to worse. He's done everything that his dad told him not to do. And then he finds himself one last, one last hurrah. Maybe I can do this. And he sells himself. He's so hungry that he takes this final step that was incredible for a young Jewish boy. When, when he talked about this, when Jesus said this, no doubt the crowd just had a kind of a gasp that when they heard and he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country a gentile no doubt and he sent him into his fields to feed swine now me and you that might not be that big a deal well we're having to feed some livestock but for a young Je jewish boy this was the end of the road boy this this boy is at the end right here this boy has now done everything in fact scripture there is there is the, a curse some some writings in scripture says that the, that it was a curse to for them to to participate with swine he's feeding him and not only is he feeding him he's got to the place where he's craving he's craving what they're eating you ever got to that place to where you find yourself, you're doing something, you think, Lord. I'm telling you, there was a couple of times when I was running from God that I, I've told you, those times when I was carrying my little boy in my arms and I'd come home and I'd, I would come home so miserable and I was thinking, how in the world did I get this far from God? How in the world did I get here from where I was? And I would cry and say, God, please don't let your, this boy grow up like his daddy. Why? Because I realized I'd gotten to this point right here. I got to a place where I said, no, I will never get there. And we see that this boy found himself in the most despicable place. You know, Shakespeare said, uh, talking about wisdom and, and being a fool, he said this. He says, a wise man knows himself to be a fool. He says, but the fool thinks that he's a wise man. Isn't that the way that's true? Sometimes we think, you know, I was looking, I, I was, I've, and I've noticed lately in some of the some restaurants, I won't name the restaurants, and if you, if you get used to seeing people that enter such an outbreak and are such a scourge of Matthews in our community in London, and I'm sure here too, that you can start seeing the telltale signs of when someone has been, I mean, I'm not saying that I, I can tell you for sure, but for the most part, you can tell by the way people look, you can see the damage that it's done to their face, to their teeth, to their, to their outlook. And when you see someone that is a young person and they look 40 years above their age. And you see it. You see the, the telltale signs of the damage of this drug. And I've, I've noticed lately several. It tore, it's just kind of troubled me. To where I'm like, I can't believe. And, and I've taken some classes in EMS that showed, you know, what, how to treat it and how to identify it and, and what it does to your body and so forth. And you can take someone that has started on this drug and take a picture of them. And they would show pictures of this beautiful young lady in her early 20s. And then just a couple of years later, the same exact girl. And you would swear she was in her 60s because of the damage that it does. And you look at these people and you say, how could you ever allow something to do this much damage before you could get out? 
But we're sometimes just as blind because we convince ourselves we can fix it ourselves. We convince ourselves maybe tomorrow I can get free of this. Maybe tomorrow I'll finally get what I'm looking for instead of being like this young man should have done and turn and run back. But he went from bad to worse. Scripture tells us the reason we can't see it in Revelations 3.17. The Lord's talking to a church and saying, here's your problem. Here's what he says. This is why we can't see. Because it says in verse 17, because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. We think we've got it all. But here's what we really look like. And nothing, and knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. We think that we've got it all under control. I've got it. My life is under control. I've got it under control. But the Lord stands back and says, do you not see where you're at? Yeah. When we see these verses, we say, can you not see, young man, where you are? But he kept going from bad to worse until he came to a complete end of himself. And now he was about to perish. He was starving literally to death. There is a void inside of each one of us. There is a god void that's within each of our hearts and souls. And we will think that we are going to fill it with worldly things. We'll think that it's going to be filled when we accomplish that goal. We think it'll be accomplished when we get that house, when we get that husband or wife, when we get that position, when we get to the retirement, when we get the bass boat that we've been waiting and working on all this time. When we get to that place, that's where I'm finally going to feel that I've accomplished it. That void that I'm feeling inside of me is filled. Let me tell you something. Let me give you a preview that's just like this young boy should see here. You will never fill that void with anything that this world has to offer because it's something that only God can fill. There is a void inside of you, an emptiness that you can try to fill it with everything and you'll feel good for a few minutes, but you're going to find out by the next morning you're going to find yourself empty and you're going to find yourself needing more and you'll never feel it until you realize where it really is and it's only by God that we can ever feel this void that is within us. We see that and we, we know that that is what uh, uh, we find ourselves looking for. We see, I, sometimes we find ourselves doing things that we wouldn't have planned on. Dad told this yesterday, and he probably won't care. I'm going to tell. He was, he was talking about apples, and, and uh, can I tell the apple story? Okay, all right, all right. So I started to call this one. So Dad was, uh, you know, setting up his deer, you know, his deer hunting, you know. And he was setting up his deer hunting, uh, getting ready and cleaning trails and salt blocks and putting out, he'd take rotten apples out of the backyard. It was, you know, not fit to eat. And it's all mushy and rotten, and he would take them and pack them over to where he hunts, and he would set them up and get them deer used to come in there to, to eat. And so he wouldn't have touched these apples because they was in such pitiful shape. But he got over there with them old rotten apples, and he got cleaning his trail and so forth, and he forgot to bring snacks. And before he knew it, he got so faint. He got so weak and just, I mean, just probably pouring sweat and everything else. He realized, buddy, I'm, this is dangerous. I need to eat something. All of a sudden, he looked down and them apples, boy, I tell you. They're maybe, and so he started cleaning them off a little bit and getting down to something that's maybe a little better on the inside. And he started eating some of them apples he wouldn't have eaten before. If you don't watch out, you'll find yourself doing something you wouldn't have normally done. So run home. Pack a snack or run home. One of the two. Amen. Uh, C.S. Lewis said something about this void I was talking about. He said this. He says, if we find ourselves with a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that we were made for another world. You see, it's not something that we can satisfy with worldly things. This, this world, this is, this is temporary. 
what you're longing for is that eternal land, that, that Canaan land that we're heading toward. And it's only fulfilled through him. And here's why. The only God can satisfy. Isaiah 58, 11 tells us this. And the Lord shall guide thee continually and satisfy thy soul in drought and make fat thy bones. And thou shalt be like a watered garden and like a spring of water whose waters fail not. That's, that's what we're longing for. It only comes from him. And so thank God that we... That he opens her eyes. Now let me tell you something. I'm going to put this in fast gear because I've taken a lot longer. I should have made this part A and part B because he comes home. Thank God we get to the title here at this very minute right here. Thank God that he came to himself. That he finally seen where he truly was. He finally came to where he was. Thank God that he lets us, opens her eyes so that we can see. Verse 17 says, and when he came to himself. He said, finally, he's thinking straight. How many hired servants of my father have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger. Let me tell you something. This is not. This is extra biblical, but I think it's true. And you'll, maybe you'll agree. It's not in this parable. But I can tell you, because I was this prodigal son, he didn't come to this realization in his own. He gets to the end of himself and he gets to, but he's been there before. He, gives, he keeps giving up everything. Now he's almost ready to give up his life. And there is people that do that. They end up totally losing out. They don't make it. The only reason that this young man finds his way back home isn't because of some uh, just wisdom that just popped in his head. No, it's the Holy Spirit that has now pursued him as we've read in these other parables into this wilderness and the Holy Spirit is dealing with his heart. We don't get saved. I didn't come back to God because of some wisdom I had. I can tell you through a path that the Holy Spirit started dealing with me and drawing me and opening my eyes, slowly opening my eyes to see where I truly was. And then I realized where I needed to be. You have to see where you are before you can ever get to where you need to be. This is the same phrase used in Acts chapter 12 when it says he came to himself where Peter was in the prison and the Lord opened the gates or the God just opened the gates and he just chains fell off and he walked out he thought he was in a trance he felt like he was outside of his body he felt like well this is a dream i'm just going to enjoy it and go with it and he's having a dream but it says in verse 11 and when peter was come to himself when he realized this wasn't a dream this is the real world he seen where he really was he said now i know of a surety that the lord sent his angel and hath delivered me out of the hand of herod and from all the expectation of the people of the jews he came to himself this boy did the exact same thing. He finally come to a place. He knew where he truly was. And then he knew through the spirit where he needed to be. He needed to go back home. Amen. Luke 15, 18 says, and he says, I will arise and go to my father. And I will say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before thee. You see, he realized, even now that his eyes were open, he realized where he needed to be. But he also realizes how unworthy he was. We get to that place that now his heart is broken because he knows what he's done to his father and his, heart's, his father's heart. He knows his father. He loves him. His heart's broken, but he knows he has no right to go back and ask. He demanded everything when he left, but he knows when he comes back, he deserves nothing. And so we see that that spirit has been dealing with him and he's drawn. Thank God the spirit deals with you at that farthest place away from the father. That spirit comes looking for you. We see here in verse 20, we're going to look at real quickly at that heart of the father. And it says, and he arose and came to his father. And when he was a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion. We see that this father was looking 
And this father had compassion on him. You know why? He never stopped looking. This boy was dead. This boy had rejected him and he had left him. But we see that he had never quit loving him. He kept looking for him. And he kept searching for him. And the moment that he just, the moment his figure came over the horizon from a distance, that father who had never quit looking out that window, he's seen him and all of a sudden his heart leaps with joy. Not, boy, see, I'm going to teach him a lesson. No, the crowd, when they hear that the son is coming back, they're thinking, well, now he's going to get what he deserves, but that's not what they're going to hear. We see that it goes on to the end of that verse and says, and had compassion. Thank God he has compassion on us. Thank God that he had compassion that when we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He had compassion that in the middle of your sin, he sent his son as a savior to cleanse you and me from our sins so that we didn't have to pay for it. It says that he had compassion. See, the Lord knew what this word meant. He's talking about his father, but it's the same word that the scripture uses several times for Jesus himself. He's using this word that's talking about a heart-wrenching, emotional reaction that causes there to be tears and to be a broken heart. When, he, when his friend Lazarus died and he was sitting there watching him weep, his heart himself is broken because he sees the anguish that this family is going through. And it says, Jesus wept. Several times, when we, we looked at just a, lot, a couple of services ago, that Jesus, when he met that leper's need, and that leper was begging, please, you can, meet, you can meet my need. You can heal me if you will. You can heal me if you will. And it says he was moved with compassion. This father was moved with compassion. Instead of judgment, mercy was extended. So we see here that he, we see here the heart of the father was a heart of love that he never quit. And we see here, of course, the love of the father as the way he ran. And it says in verse 20, and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. He'd done this before the son said a word. Why? You see, if there was ever a gasp in the crowd, this was it. What? You never even let him say anything. He didn't even repent. But you know what? The father, he knew when his son was coming back home. He knew the way his son left with his head held high. And he sees his father, his son coming back down that road and his head is hung low. And he comes and he's humbled and he can tell in his spirit. And all he knows, he knows that son's repentant. And he comes and, it's, and he's probably smelt and he was filthy and he hadn't had a haircut and his clothes were ripped and his feet were bare and anybody else would have never even recognized him. But that was his boy and he still loved him. And when he's seen that heart of compassion, he had a heart of compassion when he's seen that heart of humility coming toward him, he reached out and he did the work first. Before the son ever repented to the father, the father already had done a work. Isn't that what he did in yours and my life? Before we ever repented, he sent his son. He made the first move. He's the one that made the provision. It's already there waiting for us. And when we run from him, all we have to do is come back and ask for mercy. And he's already made it available to us. All we have to do is ask. He's already done the work. And so we thank God that he gives love instead of judgment. Hallelujah. They, the crowd was gasping that this, this what if he's not going to change? What if, he's, what if he's not learned his lesson? No, 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 no. That father wasn't worried. He was worried his son, which was lost, is now found. Who was dead is now alive and safe. And we see that he then showed finally his mercy. He showed full mercy. And his son is trying to tell him to ask forgiveness. And the father just, he's already forgiven him. 
It says in verse 21, And the Son said unto the Father, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight, and no more worthy to be called thy Son. But the Father cuts him off right there. He's, hang, on, hang on a minute. And he starts giving commands. And the Father said to his servants, Hey, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand. He's restored to being a son. He's given authority. Put shoes on his feet, which means he's, a, he's, he's, a ma- he's someone in authority. See, the, the master is the one that was in the house with the shoes on. It was the servants that was out with no shoes. He's not a servant. He's my son. And he says, Bring hither the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and be merry. You see, the father's response was, I've already forgiven you. As soon as you came back and you made that move back to me, I know your heart. I know you. I already know. I've already forgiven you. All you had to do is come home. All you had to do is make the effort to come. You take a move toward God. He comes running toward you. And thank God. And so whatever even his plan is in your life, whatever he's doing, if he's putting his finger and saying, you know what, I want you to move this other way. and you move, Listen, move toward the things of God. You'll find his mercy and his grace being extended to you. And the last thing is we see the joy of the Father. Boy, he just he longs for that. Why in the world does God love us so much that when we, even when we deserve judgment, that he wants to have joy over our repentance? That he wants to forgive us so much that he easily forgives us and he makes an avenue of for everything to be made right. And then he rejoices over us. Why does God rejoice over me? Why does he rejoice over you? I mean, I don't feel worthy to you. I, I question him sometimes. Lord, I don't. What do you see in me? Why do you see that you love me this much? I don't deserve it, but he has joy in us. To think, sometimes we think God has anger and and rejection, and God is just all the time just pushing us off to the side. But no, God wants to have such a relationship and such an intense relationship with you that when you run to Him, that there is joy that floods His heart, and not only His heart, but all of heaven. We see in verse 24, it says, For this my son was dead and is alive, alive again. He was lost and is found, and they began to be merry. We see even in the same chapter, verse 7, he keeps driving this point home. When you get right and when you run to God, there is joy not only in your life, but there's joy in heaven whenever you, or when someone comes back to the Lord. Verse 15, or chapter 15, verse 7, I say unto, uh, unto you that likewise joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repenteth, more than over ninety and nine just persons who need no repentance. The Lord loves to pour His mercy on those who knows the condition they're in and they come running back to them. The Lord proves His joy because He has joy over what's most important. This son is more important than all of his possessions. This son is more important than anything else and his son has returned home. Thank God He feels that way about you and me. Aren't you glad that He did this? This parable answers this final question. The parable answers the question to those who were shocked. And how Jesus spent so much time with these sinners. These that were so distant from God. And all these religious people that said, how can you even think of being with these people all this time? And spending so much time with them, even eating with them. Do you not see the condition of their heart? And he says, that's exactly what I'm doing. I'm revealing the heart of my Father who loves those who are cast away, those that are distant to Him. I'm revealing the heart of my Father because I love even those who have rejected me, and he's there to show his mercy. Thank God that's still true today. Amen? Oh, when you come to yourself. Sometimes sometimes I need the Lord to help open my eyes so that I come to myself. 
that I see that I want some of the things that I've made a priority in my life is doing nothing but moving me away from God's best for my life and that I need to move back toward His presence. He wants to do that in our lives today, doesn't He? Hallelujah. If you would stand, amen. He does. <laughs> amen. Let's bow our heads this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, that you, God, your heart is so amazing. That, Lord, you look upon your children with such love. And, God, you pour blessings upon us, Lord. And, Lord, even when we don't deserve it, God, every day your kindness and your goodness and your mercy is poured out. And, God, if it wasn't for you, we wouldn't even be here, Lord. The fact that we're even in this house this morning, it's a testament of your goodness to us. And God, you are the one that shows your grace and mercy every day. Thank you, Lord, that you know our heart and life. Lord, even when you know what we're getting ready to do, Lord, you still love us and you still draw us and you still have a plan for us. If God, if we'll just get our eyes back on you. Lord, I pray that you would search hearts. God, search hearts here today and even some that maybe that's online today that those that maybe don't know you at all, that they would repent. And God, that they would see that the love of the Father is drawing them. And that, that turmoil that's going on in their heart and life is that your spirit drawing them to a life of peace and contentment that only you can feel. And God, for those that know you, and God, we might find ourselves that we've been starting to wonder. That God, we've been maybe not frequenting your presence the way that we should. And then God, that you're not the priority that you used to be. Lord, we're still hanging on a little bit, but Lord, maybe we're not where we should be. And God, I know that you're still speaking to, the, to people today. If only we'll open our ears. God, don't let us be like this young man who has to get to the end to where we've lost everything, to where our life is shipwrecked, until finally our eyes is open and we can see where we are. Lord, you want to get our attention way before we get to that point. And God, you have such good things for each and every one of our lives. God, let us open our eyes and see. And God, make ourselves available to you today. Don't let us keep going. But Lord, let us turn towards your presence today. Have your way in this service today that you would speak and move. 